Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to a holiday edition of Pro-Life Primetime News. Teresa Watson is with Family in California. Today is Friday, November 25th. I'm Leslie Palma. Tonight, we have three special interviews for you. First up is Abby Johnson, a former Planned Parenthood director who left the abortion industry and has become a pro-life speaker. Her book, Unplanned, became a movie that opened in 2019 all over the country. And Then There Were None, the organization Abby founded, helps people who want to leave the abortion industry. Next, as National Adoption Month comes to a close, we'll meet Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation. He was adopted and two of his children are adopted. He has a great story. Finally, we'll have an interview Teresa and I did with Kyla Grimes, a young woman who chose life for her baby with the help of a pregnancy resource center. Abby Johnson has always been fiercely determined to help women in need. This desire is what led Abby to a career with Planned Parenthood, our nation's largest abortion provider, and caused her to flee the organization, becoming an outspoken advocate for the pro-life movement. For over a decade, Abby has been a leading voice to amplify the actual truth about abortion and the abortion industry. With over 600 quitters who have similar firsthand accounts to share, it is obvious that Abby's experience is not an isolated one. The issues they can attest to regarding the abortion industry are systematic issues that deserve urgent attention and resolution. We are blessed to have Abby Johnson with us tonight. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. So, Abby, what was your reaction when you first learned that Roe was overturned? Oh my goodness. You know, I was actually, um, I was actually in Indianapolis at the pro-life women's conference and I was with hundreds of other pro-life women when the news came out and we were jumping up and down and screaming and hugging each other and crying. And, um, gosh, you know, as a woman who has, been so personally affected by Roe, uh, you know, aborting two of my own children and then helping to facilitate over 22,000 abortions, uh, knowing the, the, the just incredibly damaging effects of Roe v. Wade. I was so glad that this terrible, terrible wrong in our history had finally been righted, but also felt, you know, I guess, I guess it felt, it, I guess the, the victory sort of felt temporary in a way because I thought, okay, um, you know, we've got it, we've got to, yes, we, we can celebrate and yes, we can be excited, but uh, we've got to, you know, get back to work. There's, there's so much work to do and, and, you know, we've got medication abortion, pill usage on the rise. I knew that, you know, of course, evil never stops. And the abortion industry is evil. Abortion is evil. And we see them going now to, you know, in these abortion RVs, these abortion motor homes going out and killing children in what Walmart parking lots. Um, so I knew that, that we would have new challenges on the horizon. And I thought, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's celebrate for a minute, but then let's get our heads back in the game and get back to work. 
I think we all felt the same way. We, we allowed ourselves that, that little bit of time to celebrate, but knew it was time to get back to work. But Abby, how has your ministry changed then since the end of Roe? Well, you know, we're actually in a, a strategic planning time right now, looking at, um, you know, how do we how do we now effectively reach these workers who are still in these brick and mortar facilities? Of course, we've got, you know, sort of two different uh, two different states. Right. So we've got states that are, you know, obviously, uh, I guess we would we would call those you know, sort of deep blue states. Right. Where abortion is very legal. Uh, in those states, you've got states like California that are essentially, you know, the governor's trying to make California a, a sanctuary state for abortion, forcing taxpayers to uh, continue to fund and expand funding for for abortion. Then you've got states uh, like mine, like Texas and, and others that are restricting abortion. Um, in the most restrictive way, in, in Texas, we have uh, no more brick and mortar abortion facilities. So, you know, how exactly do we reach those workers who were once part of the abortion industry and now really are uh, in need of healing from what they have once been a part of? And so we're now sort of in a, a strategic planning focus where we are looking at continuing to reach those who are still working in the abortion industry, but also looking at uh, really sort of a, a healing focus for those who have been left either by force because their clinics have closed um, and really sort of on a, a, a soul saving mission uh, almost for um those who, who have left and who have been forced out one way, one way or the other, which that's, that's always what our mission is really is, is saving souls. But um, so we are, we are looking at that, looking at, at different ways to, uh, to reach those, those who are out. But um, we're also looking at, uh, you know, how do we, uh, how do we use our experience that, experiences to reach women who are potentially going to go online and look for those abortion pills? Uh, how do we use our experiences to help women see that these abortion procedures that they're looking into are dangerous, uh, that they are harming women, that they are, you know, doing uh, irreparable harm to their souls? Of course, they're killing their children, but you know what other things are are they doing to these women that maybe the women haven't thought about yet? So we're trying to use our experiences in in that way too to maybe get these women to think about abortion in a different way. I'm curious in the states that have largely uh, you know banned abortion. Are you hearing from more of those uh, former clinic workers? Are they reaching out to you in, in greater numbers? You know, interestingly enough, no. Um, and I think we were just talking about this over the weekend. We were, ha we had a meeting, we were talking about it and that's been sort of a, a, 
a thing. I think people are a little perplexed by it. Uh, Pro-lifers, you know, they're thinking, well, gosh, aren't, why aren't they reaching out to you? They're out of a job, right? Why would they be reaching out to you right now? Um, I think the reason and sort of looking back on my own experience, I think they're angry. I think they're really, really angry. And I started thinking back to my time in the industry and I can kind of if I, if I can think of a time that was a, a little bit, not, not really similar, but I, I think maybe the attitude is sort of similar, was back when George Tiller was killed. And we were angry. We were scared. There was a sort of a fear, right? But we were so angry that our anger overpowered any fear and so there was a you know there was a group of people who said maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore maybe we shouldn't be you know maybe maybe we do need to rethink about what we're doing or or what we've done or there was sort of that thought too going on in the industry but the overwhelming feeling and I think what kept the bulk of people there was I'm mad I'm mad that this has happened. And so I'm going to dig my heels in and that's going to keep me uh, in my flesh. That's going to keep me in my pride. And I'm not going to admit that what I'm doing is wrong or what I have done was wrong. And so I think that's where a lot of them are right now. Um, where, where we're hearing from people the most actually are from, from states where abortion is continuing to stay legal and where they are seeing this influx of patients coming in. And, and if I'm honest with you, these workers are disgusted. Um, they are disgusted by the stories they're hearing, women coming in. You know, what's been interesting over the past, I would say four to five years, it used to be that we would hear from the workers and it would be an experience typically of something that happened to a baby. You know, it would be that they, you know, they saw a baby being born alive or they worked in a POC room and they, you know, had to piece babies back together or something like that. And that was generally why they left. That was generally why they, they came to us. Now we, in the past four to five years, we've seen something different. Now, a lot of time, I would say probably at least half of the time, workers are coming to us because of the attitudes they're seeing by the women who are coming in to have abortions. So it's no longer the, the actual abortions. It's no longer the, the brutality of abortion that's changing their mind. It's the callousness of the women that they're seeing coming through the doors. And that's what we are continuing to see, particularly in these states where women are traveling to have abortions. It's this callousness that is taking over these women. Um, and these workers are disgusted by it. You know, they got involved in this because they believe they were helping women. 
And now these women are coming in saying these terrible things about their babies. They're coming in and they're so calloused. They're so cold hearted toward their child in the womb. Um, they are having many, many abortions. You know, one woman having five, six, seven, 12 abortions. They're using it as a form of birth control. And if you think about that, if you really just sit back and think about it, you think these are people who are possibly, you know, putting putting baby parts back together. And that's not what's changing their mind. What's changing their mind. It's not the callousness of that that's changing their mind. It's the cold hearted nature of the women coming in. Wow. That's what's, yep. that's so profound to me. Yeah. And, and you know what, Leslie and Teresa, it's, that is entirely biblical that women's hearts would grow cold toward their children. And that is honestly, that is the world that we're living in right now. Well, it's kind of, that is pretty interesting, um, Abby. And, you know, my thought when you were talking about that was, okay, you know, it, it is horrific either way, but as long as they will leave the industry and get healing. And Abby, what would you say to, to our viewers right now who may be feeling that what you're saying and thinking, I've got to get out of this industry, what would you say to them? I would say that there is so much joy and there is so much peace outside of the abortion industry. And, you know, you try to obtain it while you're there. You try to find happiness. You try to find peace. You try to um, find some sort of, of joy, but you're constantly searching and you just can't find it. And you, you can't figure out why. You can't figure out, you know, why am I always unhappy? Why am I always having to drink? Why am I always having to use substances? Why am I always having to numb my, my conscience? Why am I always having to do this? And once you leave, you realize, oh, it's because I was, my soul was so unsettled. And, um, I tell you, I, I thought I was, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was happy while I was working there, but you truly do not know joy when you are participating in evil. You can't, um, because joy and evil cannot cohabitate. And, um, and so, you know, to anybody who would be watching this and I was a person when I worked in, in the abortion industry who, uh, who did watch father Frank, uh, <laughs> when I, when I was working inside of Planned Parenthood, so there might be somebody watching this, uh, right now. And, um, and so, you know, I would say to them that there, there really is joy. There really is true peace and, and true happiness and, you know, we want to help you find that. Everyone in the pro-life movement wants to help you find that, but you will not find it inside of those clinic walls. So where do, how do people get to you? How do they reach out? Sure. They can go to abortionworker.com. And uh, we have a, a, a hotline that's answered 24 hours a day. You can text us, you can call us, you can email us, uh, and somebody will reach back out. 
Abby, we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. And, and uh, we just ask that, you know, God continue to bless you and your ministry. And thank you for joining us. Thanks. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. See you in January. Okay. <laughs> As National Adoption Month draws to a close, we'd like to introduce you to Ryan Bomberger, co-founder of the Radiance Foundation, a pro-life, pro-family organization he started with his wife, Bethany. Ryan grew up in a family of 13 children, 10 of them adopted, and now is the father of four children, two of whom were adopted. Ryan was a recent guest on Janet Moranis' show, Just Ask Janet, and he told his incredible story, which begins with a woman making a courageous choice for life. Let's hear his amazing story. You know, I grew up in a tiny little family of 15. I have six brothers and six sisters. 10 of us were adopted. And many of our stories are the narratives that people use, particularly pro-abortion activists, use all the time to justify abortion. And I'm definitely one of those cases. My birth mom, whom I've never met, and I pray one day I get to meet her and just thank her and hug her and just tell her how much her courageous decision has obviously changed, changed the world uh, in, in different ways. But uh, my birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape. And even though she was a victim of rape, she did not make me a victim of abortion. So although I was conceived in rape, I was adopted in love. And so I grew up in this adoptive family where we, you know, we're all kinds of different hues, different backgrounds, different stories. And our parents love the mess out of us and adoption, like this, my shirt says, adoption unleashed purpose in our lives. And so that's you know, my origin story. And it's because of my birth mom's courageous decision that I'm able to love and to be loved. And, and now today I'm happily married to the love of my life, Bethany Bomberger, who's the other co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. And we have four amazing kiddos, two of whom were also adopted. Right. And so that's a very important point I wanted to bring out here is that abortion <clears throat> has a generational effect. Your mother had the courage not to cave into, I'm sure, as we know, when a woman's been raped, you have all these people surrounding her, right? Social workers in hospitals, doctors in ERs, uh, family members who are basically selling abortion to them because they think they're helping them. And as we know, it's, it's not a help. <clears throat> it's a hindrance, actually. But imagine, had your mother not had the courage, then not only would you not be here, but then your children and, and your two natural children and then the other two that you adopted wouldn't have this loving family. So, I, you know, people, when they make these political statements, Ryan, it makes me crazy, must make you crazy, too. Yeah. That <clears throat> what about this person? What about that person? They wouldn't be here if we caved into your political rhetoric. Right. Exactly. And the, the sad thing is people, as you mentioned, think that the natural follow up or the, the remedy to the violence of rape is the violence of abortion. And the only person it actually benefits is the abortionist. I mean, abortion empowers the abortionist. It doesn't empower anybody else. And so I, I hear it all the time that people think, well, I, I can't imagine going through that circumstance. And what I found actually surprising in all the speeches I do across the country and sometimes abroad, I meet a lot of survivors from from rape and those who chose to parent those who are post-abortive and of course those who chose adoption and the common thread with these women has been and these are incredibly strong women uh, like my my birth mom i consider them uh, my birth mom i call her birth mom strong but the common thread was that the child was the only redemptive part 
of that violence. And in, in many cases, I hear story after story, the child rescued the woman out of that circumstance, out of that pain and out of that trauma. And so I, I hope that I my life represents the, the tangible reality that God enables triumph to rise from tragedy all the time. Last week on Pro-Life Primetime News, we were blessed to be able to meet Trisha Lynn Liu, whose baby was saved and whose life was changed after her visit to a pregnancy center called Thrive. So many of you were touched by Trisha's testimony that we asked Thrive to introduce us to another mom who would like to share her story with our audience. Tonight, we would like to introduce you to Kyla Grimes, who found herself pregnant by a man who wanted her to have an abortion and at times even denied he was the baby's father. Thankfully, God put someone in Kyla's life who introduced her to Thrive. Hi, Kyla. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Kyla, would you briefly tell us what the circumstances were leading up to your pregnancy? Yes, of course. So this was, I was two years graduated from high school. I had a crush on a guy um, that I went to middle school with. And so we reconnected. It was basically a one night stand. Um, I didn't know this person physically, mentally, emotionally. I didn't know this person from a can of paint. It was literally a one night stand. Um, I just had a question on him. It happened and I found out I was pregnant and he didn't want anything to do with me or my daughter. Wow. Well, Kyla, what happened? Uh, you scheduled yourself for an abortion, right? Um, right. How, how did you, first of all, consider that? What, what led up to, were you going to consider holding, having the baby or having an abortion? So um, I didn't really like, so when I was pregnant, he wanted me to have an abortion. So I'm like, okay, I'm young. I don't need a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. And I actually hid my pregnancy for four months. So nobody knew I was pregnant for four months. So um, he had, I scheduled the appointment. He paid for everything. He offered to pay for everything. And in my head, I'm like, okay, it can't be that bad. But if I had known what I know now, abortion wouldn't have been an option at all. But yes, he gave me the money. Um, the first appointment, I want to say it was like $200, like for the initial appointment. And that's where you do the blood work and everything. And then you come back for the actual procedure. So it wasn't any of my thoughts. It was basically him telling me to get an abortion. So what happened the day that you were scheduled to go for the abortion, for the actual abortion? So I did my first appointment. Um, the day I was scheduled for an abortion, my friend from my church, he introduced me to Thrive. Um, and he was like, this, this is before my actual appointment, he was like, just go to Thrive. Can you just do it for me? Like, you're not going to lose anything. Can you please just do it for me? I'm like, uh, I'll think about it. So, and I was on the bus at that time. So I caught the bus to Planned Parenthood and something just told me to go to Thrive. It was walking distance. And so instead of me going into Planned Parenthood, I ended up at Thrive. Wow. What's it then? And, but then eventually you did go to Planned Parenthood? No, so I did my initial appointment, and after that, I never stepped foot back in Planned Parenthood. So what was it like going to Thrive as compared to going into Planned Parenthood? So Planned Parenthood, um, they were kind of rude and, like, nonchalant. Um, the people in the room were crying, but there wasn't any, like, tissue boxes or anybody offering them tissue. It wasn't like a breath of fresh air like Thrive was. Like, there wasn't any pictures. There wasn't any lights. No one 
um, talking to you, asking you about your day. It literally was in and out. Um, mm -hmm. Thrive, breath of fresh air. As soon as you walk in, they have greeters. They offer you snacks, water. They they let you get comfortable before you actually have a conversation with them. So that, it was a light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel. It literally was a big difference. And you could tell, like it literally was a, a breath of fresh air. Well, Kyla, you chose then uh, because of your visit with Thrive to keep your baby. So fast forward for us a little bit to your pregnancy and then um, the actual birth of your baby girl. Okay. Um, so like I said, I did have my pregnancy for four months. Um, so my daughter, her name is Kylie Rose. So she was born at 35 weeks. She ended up being born a premature baby, three pounds, 13 ounces. Um, I wish I could have enjoyed my pregnancy, like without hiding it or knowing more things about my pregnancy. Um, but like I said, I did hide it, but she was born. Um, she had to stay in NICU for two weeks. It was a lot of stuff that I wish I knew prior to be like a more proactive mother because I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking. Like I literally didn't care because I had this abortion scheduled in my head. So she wasn't going to be there. So mm -hmm. she was born premature. Um, she's nine now. Uh, mm -hmm. She will be 10 in February, mm -hmm. but... She is the light of my world. Literally, when you become a mother, it's like nothing else matters. But That's yeah, true. I kept her. She is here. She is alive. She is a thrive baby. She is here. <laughs> uh, well, Kyla, thank you so much for sharing your touching story of victory for you and your daughter. What would you like to say as we close to anyone who may be considering an abortion? Um, I will say you can do it. Believe in yourself. We are here for you. There are plenty of resources. Um, once you have an abortion, you can't you can't get your baby back. And that baby is waiting to come out to look up to you, their mom. So I say go for it. Go for it. Have your baby. You have a village. God has you through it. You can do it. Well, Kyla, we, we really appreciate you sharing your, your touching story with us. And um, we just appreciate your time. And do you have any other children? Yes, I have a son. His name is Elijah. He turns three on Saturday. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> and a girl. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you again for joining us. And thank you to Thrive for the life-saving work you do every day. And for more information on Thrive, visit thrivestlouis.org. And to find a pregnancy center in your area, please visit pregnancycenters.org. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced by Rob Collins here at Priests for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. I hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Please support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, our daily masses, and Father Frank's broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, enabling us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life movement to end abortion. If you have an idea for a story or know someone you would like us to feature on the show, please email media at PriestsForLife.org. Teresa will be back next week, so please be sure to join us next Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.